This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. And welcome back to the second hour of Hot Stove Baseball tonight, live from our 710 ESPN studios here in Seattle, Washington. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and, of course, Dan the Man Wilson, Mariners Hall of Famer. And I can't wait to get down to spring training here in the next couple of weeks. We just came back from sunny Arizona for the Mariners Fantasy Camp, Dan, and that was a lot of fun. It was awesome. It was awesome. But, like, i got to ask you. Yeah. CCR bringing us back. I love it. I, I got to believe you were a CCR fan at Southern Love Illinois it. University. Oh, yeah. I wanted the beard. <laughs> In Carbondale? I wanted the beard. You know, the yeah. Beard. Oh, man, I'm, I'm playing the air guitar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Was a, that was a long time ago, buddy. Perfect. Who was, you, what was your favorite group uh, uh, back in your college? You days? know, U2 was really big because 87, which I think was their Joshua Tree Tour, which was my senior year in high school, and then yeah. they were pretty popular yeah. for a long time. I met time. Bono in Toronto. Did you? Yeah. Remember the rooftop bar at the hotel in yep. uh, downtown Toronto yeah. there? He was in yeah, there. He was up there, yeah. And I went up there, and he was up there with a bunch of people, and I walked up to him and just said, uh, or he was sitting there having a drink. I said, love your work. <laughs> <laughs> I have great. never heard this story. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. It was <laughs> it's incredible. Bar on top of the, the roof, uh, rooftop bar, and a uh, really great bar. This guy was 80 years old as the bartender, Joe. I love this guy. And Bono was there. They have this big musical festival every year. The top bands in the in the world are there. Yeah, and he was he happened to be up there with, uh, I guess, his wife and and a bunch of other. Was people. the Edge there? Uh, I don't I don't know guitar player. I don't I don't <laughs> no? know. I, I don't know I, that, that. Anyway, <laughs> we just got Dan and I just got back from uh, Peoria, where the Mariners had their annual fantasy camp, and Brian Holman does a great job. Taking it over from Dave Henderson, who uh, sadly passed away about five years ago, my buddy, and your friend as well. And uh, Brian has done a great job with the fantasy camp. The coaches were down there, the former players, Mike Moore, Brian Holman, Jeff Schaefer, the human fist, uh, uh, Arthur Lee Rhodes, uh, Gary Wheelock, and, uh, Comstock. and Keith Comstock. And we just had a great time. There were three teams, and there was one young man who I just fell in love with, uh, for the joy of the game of baseball, his name is Derek Otto, 29 years of age, uh, autistic, Down syndrome, and he really made the camp come alive, didn't mm-hmm. he? He had so much fun down there, and he got a hit in the road game against the Dodgers in Glendale last Thursday night, and it was just amazing. It just warmed your heart to see this young man have so much fun, and the other guys. There was a 27-year-old kid there, an 87-year-old guy, from 27-87, but Derek Otto really grabbed our hearts, Dan. Yeah, you know, I was unfortunately only down there for like a day of, of fantasy camp, but just in that amount of time, just that short period of time, you could really tell uh, the impact that Derek had and had a chance yeah. to meet him, obviously, and and uh, he'd just go around. He, he'd give fist pumps to everybody. Yeah. He was, he, you know, he and he and Arthur <laughs> Rhodes, they, they put the gun show gun out show, there. Guns they, up, baby. Guns up, they said, but... Uh, it was just uh, he was had huge impact and uh, yeah. w- won his team's uh, jersey and he just yeah. was such an uh, inspirational emotional player for them and it was it was really cool to see that and be a part of that and and he mentioned the alumni guys like you know for yeah. me 
it was great because you know I heard a lot of stories about Mike Moore and but I've never really had a chance to to to, to see him yeah. and get to know him a little yeah. bit. So it's nice to to get a little bit you know deeper contact with some of the alumni that are there, the, the coaching yeah. staff, and uh, it's just always great to see some of the. The, the the beauty of of Mariner's past exactly and, and Arthur Rhodes didn't throw at any of the campers do I get I'll tell I you what I think he right? did one time. <laughs> I yeah. tell you what Artie and Mike Moore they were still bringing it a little bit I was surprised in the, in the campers game against the coaches they they let them have it yeah oh yeah you know they they still throw as hard as they can right now. And I remember I used to play back in the day, and, and there's Mike Moore throwing 88 miles an oh. hour, you know, to the campers. And yeah. I'm saying, hey, you want to be like a big leaguer? you got your big league uniform on. We're going to make you feel like a big leaguer. <laughs> Here comes 88, yeah. you know. And uh, and they take away so much. You know, these, these folks, they absolutely love the game of baseball. They love the Mariners organization. They come down there, and during the course of the week, they have their injuries. They pull muscles and everything, but they still go out there and play. There's Elise Thomases who... We just love Elise. Uh, she's a season ticket holder. She's been to every camp. There's about four ladies who were there in camp. And w- the best part for me and, and for them is that they get a chance to sit and talk with you guys. Mm-hmm. They've watched you guys down through the years, and they get a chance to know Dan Wilson, uh, Mike Moore, and all these guys. They've watched them. And uh, we, we, we have a segment uh, during the week where we just sit down and tell stories. And then they get a chance to ask questions. And that's the best part, you know, yeah. for me. And they come away with a lifetime of memories during that special week. Yeah, it really seemed like by the end of the week, uh, it was such, you know, we talk a lot about family and, and, you know, the Mariners organization being a family. Uh, but you really felt like this whole fantasy camp, the, the whole yeah. group of players, the whole group of coaches, everybody that's involved with that just was one big family by the end and yeah. and uh that, that's always such a you know it just puts a smile on your face and you know that's what that's the great thing about baseball it brings people exactly. together that's the the camaraderie and you know the stories get even better of course you, i mean they get the a little stories stretched. become legendary exactly and and it's just uh, so much fun and even jeff Schaefer, who was here for 3 years you know the guy that was the 24th 25th yeah. on your team but played so hard made it to the big leagues i love stories like that he got emotional yeah, you he know, got really when, emotional when he gave you know one of his members yep. uh, his jersey because it sounded like you know he had some issues growing up family wise and he saw this this camper with his dad, yep, father and son, at camp and it really became very emotional for him. So it was a great time. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time being a, a small part of it, and uh, I can't wait till next year. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, coming up next here on uh, Hot Stove, we're going to visit with Bill Mitchell. Bill has come up with the top 10 prospect list in the Mariners organization. You're going to love talking to Bill. We're going to love talking to Bill right here, and you're going to hear some names that uh, these young players are going to be a part of the future, the very near future in the Mariners organization. We'll be back with Bill Mitchell and his top 10 Mariner prospects as Hot Stove continues after this timeout. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. One-two pitch to Rodriguez, swinging a line shot, diving off the glove of Rondon at short. The ball gets out into left center field, and Julio Rodriguez hit a frozen rope and has himself a base hit. Rodriguez with a one-out single here in the bottom of the eighth inning, his first at bat. In a big league spring training game, a Cactus League game, remember <laughs> that name, Julio Rodriguez. 
Oh, that was a lot of fun. That was last spring, uh, 2019. We had a chance to see that kid uh, finally get into a game, a Cactus League game. He got that base hit. And, uh, folks, you're going to be hearing about this kid in the very near future. Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kelnick as well, Evan White, who we talked about, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Justice Sheffield, and many, many others. Our next guest is from Baseball America. His name is Bill Mitchell. Welcome to the show, Bill. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and Dan Wilson. Uh, you came up with the Mariners' uh, top ten prospects in the organization. There's so many good young players right now. And you kind of sal- salivated between Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kelnick, 1-2, two, 2-1. Two, uh, how tough was it to come up with your top guys in this organization right now? Well, first, thank you for having me again this year. I enjoyed it last year, and I'm glad to talk Mariners prospects with you. And even though I'm in Arizona, we kind of had a Seattle day here with uh, uh, cool weather and lots of rain, so uh, <laughs> I feel a little Seattle right. today. Uh, as far as the pick between Rodriguez and Kelnick, uh, that was this, I've been doing prospect rankings for various organizations for Baseball America for uh, probably close to a dozen years, and this was the closest uh, the toughest decision to make uh, of any organization I've done over the years. Uh, probably if I had uh, polled 100 knowledgeable observers, it would have been 51 to 49. But at the uh, by the end, I felt that, or we all felt that uh, putting Julio Rodriguez in his sky-high ceiling was the right choice. Uh, it's a good situation for the Mariners to have, a good problem to have, to have two really bona fide number one prospects. Well, Bill, you know, I, I'm interested in one of the picks for a little bit further down. I, you know, I love talking pitching. I love looking at young pitchers. And you have uh, a young Brandon Williamson down there in the ninth slot. Uh, you know, oftentimes guys come out of their college season uh, having thrown a lot of innings, and then uh, they get into rookie ball and, in his case, uh, going to Everett and really only amassed about 15 innings of work. Um it's interesting to see him on here. Obviously, he was he was impressive in those fifteen innings. But when you look at somebody that's that got sort of that small of a body of work, how is it that that uh, you see him? And what were the things that really stood out to you about it? Well, the Mariners are really high on him, and when you look at the fact uh, that uh, he transferred to Texas Christian, and in the in the fall he missed the fall season, he had surgery in both hips. Now that scared a lot of teams away. Really, he was a first-round talent. Uh, the Mariners uh, are fortunate. They saw, they felt uh, uh, that the injuries would not be an issue. And uh, you could kind of say that they got two first-round picks this year by getting Williamson in the second round. Uh, he's um, He pitched very well in Everett in, in a small sample. Uh, but uh, he, uh, and I, I did see him last, uh, or last year, just in February, uh, pitching for Texas Christian when they came through uh a tournament in Arizona, and he's a big, lanky left-hander. Fastball gets up to 96, uh, and it's got really good life. So uh, one of the things I pointed out in the uh, in his report was uh, he had a very high swinging strike rate, uh, uh, one of the best in the minor leagues. So he is certainly an interesting one, uh, uh, and it was an easy choice to put him on the top ten. Bill, you've done – been involved in the Mariners' top 10 for the last couple of years. How does the depth of this top 10 compared to the top 10 for the Mariners the last couple of years? Oh, it's definitely stronger. Uh, 
the uh, I think, and, and really, I'm going to say they're top 12 that uh, they have. And you know, we put out a top 30 comes out in the prospect handbook that uh, Baseball America sells both through their website and then it shows up in bookstores. Uh, their top 12, I think, and I, I don't do, I only do one other organization, but I would say the Mariners top 12 probably ranks with just about any other organization, you know, especially with having. Players like Rodriguez and Kalnick at the top. Logan Gilbert did outstanding in his first year. Uh, Evan White did well enough that you know, the Mariners felt they needed to give him his major league contract now. So there's a lot of uh, good talent uh, in the top 12. It does drop off there some after that, although there is some interesting young talent and, and some uh, uh, relief help that could be on the way pretty soon in, in Seattle. Very impressed with uh, Jared Kalnick, who came over from the Mets, uh... Uh, a year ago in that, in that trade for Robbie Cano. Uh, we just saw a video of him hitting off a tee where a guy behind him with a, throws a Frisbee out towards second base. <laughs> he hits the ball off the tee, and sure enough, it smacks the Frisbee out there in shallow center field. He is a very talented I kid. Grew- I, can't yeah. tell, I, I can't tell you how he did that. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty excited you know, when, it, when he actually hit that thing. So he's got a lot of ability, obviously, a top draft pick by the Mets and, and one of the best prospects, not only in the Mariners organization, but in all of baseball right now. What are you seeing from this kid, and what can Mariner fans expect from Jared Kelnick? He's going to move quickly. In fact, he did. He moved three levels this year. I would see yeah. him in Triple in A this year, and will he get to the big leagues this year? I think it's not as much of a question of uh, – Will he be ready? But will the Mariners need him yet? Well, you know, do they need to rush him to the big leagues? But certainly, uh, he's a very, very natural hitter, very smart hitter. Uh, he, um, uh, very good plate discipline and, uh, back, back control. Uh, he's, uh, I'm trying to think what else to say about him. He, you know, he's, uh, a potential all-star. Well, Bill, as I look at this list of top ten prospects, you know I, I can't help but notice there's five position players, five pitchers. That's a pretty obviously a balanced uh, list. Is that something that's pretty usual? I, I know last year the draft was pretty pitcher heavy uh, for the Mariners, but um, is you know is, is it usually a fifty fifty split or or is this just uh, you know what, what the Mariners are showing at this current moment? It it really depends on the organization. Uh, I don't know that you could say. It that uh, most organizations have a 50-50 split like this. When you look at... But they did go heavy on, on pitching prospects, and there's a couple outside the top ten, uh, some college pitchers that they added, and then they have some Latin pitchers that uh, will are further away but uh, have a lot of potential. When you look at this top ten, during the course of this season, there'll probably be a guy or two that that drops off the list because they become major leaguers. Evan White is certainly a candidate for that. Who are kind of the next couple of guys below the top 10 that Mariner fans should know about? Well, and if I look at their top, what I consider their top 12, I think it's pretty certain that five of those are going to drop off. Mm. Uh, You've got to look at Sheffield. uh, Almost uh, doesn't qualify anymore. He's just a few innings short. Justin Dunn will probably get to the big leagues. Kyle Lewis had the left field job. Uh, for him, is uh, his to lose. And uh, Evan White, with the major league contract, will probably be up there. And then there's Jake Fraley. He's outside the top yeah. ten. Uh, some other interesting talent. Uh, there, 
there's a pitcher they took in the, uh, I think he was in the compensation round, Isaiah Campbell out of Arkansas. He did not pitch at all last year. Uh, he's a big, big right-hander, did very well in the College World Series. Uh, he's noted for his physicality. So uh, I'm real curious to see how he's going to do this year. He may not move as fast as some of the other guys, uh, but uh, actually he may. Now that I think about it, he's uh, spent enough time at Arkansas, got a lot of uh, uh, advanced competition in the SEC. So I think he goes straight to full season ball this year and skips over ever. I think good. Started- uh, there are also a couple of uh, uh, no couple go- Latin prospects I'm eager to see when spring training comes around that we're in the Dominican Summer League. Uh, there's one named Jonathan Classe, who's already the fastest runner in the organization, uh, but he's very raw. Tell me about the Marte kid, too. Uh, he was down at the Dominican Summer League and a shortstop, and we've heard a lot of good things about uh, this kid, Marte. He was the top prospect in the Dominican Summer League. Uh, he's been a shortstop, uh, but... Uh, He's growing big. Uh, where he's going to wind up, it really depends on how much bigger he gets. He's close to 200 pounds now, and it's, it's a solid 200 pounds. Uh, he uh, he had some throwing issues early earlier in the year at the Dominican Summer League, but they worked that out. There were some concerns he'd have to move to the outfield, but now they think, Mariners think that he can stay in the infield. Um, if I was a betting man, I'd say he winds up at third base eventually. But uh, he's going to follow in the footsteps of Julio Rodriguez. He's not. I don't think he's going to move as fast as Julio because there's a little more involved with playing the infield. They need to probably move him a little slower. But um, he, he's he's a he's another one with a very high upside. Bill, I noticed on the, of the five position players in that top ten, no catchers. Uh, you're killing me, Bill. You're killing me. But I know there's one that's just outside that top ten. Can you talk about Cal Raleigh a little bit? I I figured you'd bring up Cal Raleigh. Yes, you're right. He is just outside the top ten. I don't want to have too many spoilers for our prospect handbook, but he and Jake Fraley are the the two that are just outside the top ten. Raleigh started out the year in high A, hit very well there. Went to double A, struggled a little bit, not as, as much. He's a big-bodied catcher. The, what we want to see with him, you know, he's got a lot of power from a switch hitter, and uh, there's value in, in that. Uh, catching is a tough position, and there just aren't as many catchers out there as teams need, it seems. But uh, what scouts that I talked to, the concern they have is how is he going to handle the better velocity when he gets – you know, continues in double A, gets to triple A, and gets to the big leagues. That's the big thing to watch out for him. I'm glad you brought up the handbook. I recommend that to everybody. That's a, it's, I pick it up every year. It's a fantastic read. Uh, I'm really excited about George Kirby, who was always known as a control guy. You look at his college numbers, they're eye-popping. He didn't walk anyone, and that was literally nearly almost didn't walk anyone. But the velocity really stood out, too. Touched 98 in his pro debut. He seems really impressive. Yeah, uh, six batters he walked in 88 innings in college, which is incredible. But then he comes into pro ball and doesn't walk anybody in 23 innings. Uh, and he's not just a soft-tossing pitchability guy. You Like you said, he was up to 98. That's higher than he was in college, and they attribute that to the fact that he was working in shorter stints there and could air it out a little better. He's probably going to sit more like 92, 93, 94, uh, and touching 95 and 96. But... Uh, there's still some growth too. 
He's um, a tall, lanky guy. So there's potential for him to get stronger and, and get to that velocity more regularly. And he's, he's got four pitches that are all, that will all be average or better. So that, uh, obviously, uh, in his first year, moving all the way up to the fifth in the organization, that's pretty good. Yeah, he's going to be a good one once he gets here, and he's going to be a good one for a long time. Visiting with Bill Mitchell from Baseball America. Bill, one, one name I keep hearing about over the last year is a reliever by the name of Sam Delaplane, a uh, kid that can throw hard and, and has had success down in the minor leagues. And uh, What have you heard from Sam uh, Delaplane? He really surprised me this year. And if you, you want to look at uh, eye-popping numbers, you look at the strikeout totals he had this year. And he's been in the organization for a few years. He was a 23rd-round pick out of uh, Eastern Michigan uh, three years ago and really didn't distinguish himself kind of more under the radar. He's a 5'11 right-hander, uh, so he gets compared at least size-wise and, and uh, you know, a uh, shorter guy with a big arm. He gets compared to, like, uh, Craig Kimbrell, uh, wow. Greg Holland. Um, but he was up to, in both um, – High in Dubois, he was up to the touching 98. He was very good in the Arizona Fall League, too. Uh, he has a deceptive delivery. Uh, it's a high three-quarters delivery. And then he's got a uh, hard slider that gets um, very high spin rates. But uh, he averaged 15 strikeouts per nine innings, yeah. throughout, and that's been throughout his minor league career. That's amazing. Well, I'll tell you what, Bill. Well, we appreciate uh, you know what you have done. You know, rating uh, not only just the Mariners organization, our top ten prospects, and also a few other organizations as well. And I've been telling a lot of fans, hey, the kids are coming. You know, and the kids are coming from A ball to Double A AA to Triple A into the big leagues. And we've seen it uh, this past season with a number of young players getting here, at Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn. That's why I'm looking forward to spring training to seeing these kids and. And who the kids, what kids, uh, you know, step up this year. So, Bill, thanks a lot for being with us tonight and give us a, a look into the future of this franchise. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Bill Mitchell from Baseball America and his top 10 prospects in the Mariners organization. We'll be back with more here on Hot Stove along with Gary Hill, Dan Wilson. I'm Rick Riz. We'll be back after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. He gets Larry Walker. <laughs> I told you it hit right-handed. We were talking about it before the game. He batted right-handed earlier in the year in batting practice. And here he is. He's going to face him right-handed. Why not? <laughs> Just turn it around. Why not? He looks like a catcher hitting. A lot of people don't remember that these two are former teammates coming up through the Expos organization. And now he's back to the left side. And Walker is hitting 398 on the season. And a two-out walk. So Walker reaches base. After that first pitch, it was like the flyby here right after the anthem. A big sight game here. Randy Johnson throws the ball over Larry Walker's head just like he did to John Crook. And that was an all-star game performance. Randy Johnson uh, facing uh, Larry Walker, who was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame by the Baseball Writers Association. Congratulations to Larry Walker and Derek Jeter. One vote shy of being a unanimous choice. 
So congratulations to Derek Jeter as well. Tell me a little bit about Larry Walker, Dan. Tough out, you know, had a chance to play against him a little bit coming up with Cincinnati and uh, just a real balanced hitter, you know, and, and uh, you know, take away Colorado. I, it doesn't matter to me. He was just a really, really good player, a guy that, uh, you know, as a hitter was dangerous, uh, was in the middle of a really tough lineup, and, and uh, he just uh, carried the weight there, hit the ball for power, uh, not afraid to hit the ball all over the field, which was great, and, and uh, you know, to, to put up a lot of big numbers, you know, with that organization over a long period of time is, you know, he was just a, a very well-respected player. I mean, he was a guy uh, nobody wanted to face. Uh, and so, you know, I don't, Randy didn't want to face him that night, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. So, uh, but, uh, you know, obviously, uh, congratulations to Larry Walker, to Derek Jeter. I mean, this is this is the, the, the best of the best, and, and Larry was certainly one of them. It was so close. Walker just getting in, but you know he's a 300, 400, 500 guy. I mean, the slash line is awfully impressive, and yeah, he did spend half his career in Colorado, but uh, seven gold gloves, I think, are often yeah. overlooked, and you know, if you're going to you know, look at his offense with some suspect because of playing in Colorado, I think he should get even more credit for his defense in Colorado, because as an outfielder, that's not an easy place Amen. to play, yeah. because you know, it's Colorado's always looked at as a place where home runs get hit, but that outfield is it's, enormous. It's enormous. You got to cover enormous. a ton of yeah. ground. That is not easy. And that right center area is particularly yes. ginormous. And so, yeah, he had to really cover a lot of ground out there. That's a great point. Yeah, that outfield has two zip codes. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> so much space uh, between the outfielders. I, I just don't want to see anybody get uh, not a credit for the ballpark that he played in. Or too much credit right. for the ballpark he played. He he hit the ball out of the ballpark. He hit 300. He had Edgar Martinez numbers, as, as Gary mentioned, 300, 400, 500, yeah. average on-base percentage and slugging percentage. This guy passed my test, which was number one is the eye test. You know, was he the dominant player at his position during the decade in which he played? Those yeah. are the things that I look at. And fortunately now, for the guys that are kind of like on the bubble, we have the analytics and thank goodness the the writers took a look at those to get right. Edgar in finally in his 10th try and Larry Walker finally in his 10th attempt. And I think the writers kind of have some urgency, too, when they see guys like that who deserve to be in. Finally get them in there because they deserve to be in there like Edgar last year. Yeah, and, you know, something that Joe Buck said, I think it was Joe Buck that was on mm -hmm. the call there. Yeah. It was really interesting, and we started to talk about it a little bit. He mentioned Larry Walker coming up with the Montreal Expos. They, you know, that organization has turned out a lot oh. of Hall of Fame players, and it's really it's am. pretty it's pretty phenomenal uh, when you look at a lot of the guys that started with Montreal that ended up in the Hall of Fame. And we 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 nailed off we railed off about six or seven names, yeah. and uh, it's it's pretty phenomenal to to see that. Yeah, I spent three years in the Expos organization at Double A in nineteen seventy eight, seventy nine, and eighty. There was so much talent that came through there. Yeah, at that time, Tim Wallach. Our little second baseman was Tim Raines. Uh, and then eventually he went up to Denver, AAA Denver. They put him in the outfield next year. He's in the big leagues with Montreal. But there was a lot of talent yeah. that came through there. Mike Blowers. Yeah, yeah. I, I think about that 94 Expos team a lot. Yeah. And that happened to be Larry Walker's last year with the Expos. But you think about 1994 with the strike. I mean, they were 74 and 40. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, at that point, and they were going to win the World Series you, that year. You look at the the top three in the rotation: Pedro Martinez, <laughs> Ken Hill, Jeff Vicero. At the time, that was that's a yeah. really nice three. Yeah. And the outfield of Larry Walker and Marquis Grissom, Grissom and yep. Alou. I mean that 
they had a ton of talent on that team, and they they had a chance to win it all that year. Obviously, and you just wonder how things would have played out uh, in Montreal had they gone on a run like that, maybe won a World Series or made a deep playoff run and yeah. able to put a couple of years like that together. Felipe Lou was our manager in 1978, and I talked to him later on. He said, had it not been for the strike, we would have won the World Series. Yeah. He said, we were the best team in baseball, and the strike really hurt the Expos more than anybody, and eventually they moved to Washington yeah. and became the Nationals. That's right. why I was happy for the Nationals. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was, they're the old Expos franchise. Yeah. They had never been there, you know, and uh, so that was good to see. But uh, – I'm I'm very happy for Larry Walker and Ryan Dempster said something on uh, the Major League Baseball Network uh, this morning. He grew up in Canada too. He said to see somebody from Canada who mm-hmm. played hockey but went to baseball gave us you know the hope and thrill and the dream that we could you know play in the big leagues too. And it's nice to have that kind of impression to be that kind of player, Junior. Was so much fun to watch. Oh yeah, the way that he played the game, and you know, I want to be Ken Griffey Jr. A lot of kids grew up wanting to be Ken Griffey Jr. And Larry Walker, I think, had that impression on a lot of kids in Canada. Yeah, I mean, you know, he obviously represents a, a bigger area than just uh, where he grew up. I mean, he, he's renting the whole country, representing them, and and uh, you know, fitting that we've been talking about Montreal because uh, you know where he got his start there in Canada, and and it it, it is it's a big moment for them, obviously. Uh, and and uh, just a great moment for Larry Walker, well-deserved, and uh, uh, it's going to be an exciting time for him. I want to talk about a few guys. Omar Vizquel got 50% of the vote. He has been trending up over the last couple of years, third year on the ballot. To me, Omar was the best defensive shortstop I've ever seen, played more games than anybody at that position, including my hero growing up, Louis Aparicio, Everybody that's played the most positions, most games at their position are all in the Hall of Fame except left field and shortstop. That's Omar Vizquel and Barry Bonds. And what do you think about Omar's chances? I think eventually over the next three, four, five years, Omar's going to get in. I And I think he has a great shot with the Veterans Committee if it doesn't work out with yeah. the voters. Yeah. Uh, so I think one way or another we'll see Omar Vizquel in the Hall of Fame. I think – the advantage that some of the high risers have, you know, guys at the top that got a lot of votes like Schilling and Vizquel and Scott Rowland, I think, is, is a good candidate moving forward. Yeah. Uh, on the ballot next year, there's no one that, to me, when I look at it, is going to make it on their first ballot next year. Probably the best players that will be on the ballot for the first time next year will be Torrey Hunter, Tim Hudson, Mark Burley. That's kind of the best. And none of those three strike me as, as first-time guys. And what that does really opens it up for the guys already on the ballot with a large percentage. And I think that only helps uh, the guys at the top uh, to push them over. And, you know, after we saw Walker, it's pretty amazing. And we've seen it. We saw it with Edgar and we saw it with Walker make really big mm-hmm. leaps in terms of percentage of votes that hadn't necessarily yeah. happened down through the years, but we've seen it a couple of years in a row now. So, you wonder with guys in shouting range, you know, like Omar and even Scott Rowland, who only got thirty-five percent, but the case can be made there that they can make really big leaps mm-hmm. next year and the year yeah. after to push themselves over the top. And Omar, obviously, just his third year on the ballot, uh, and, and he's still around the game; he's been in the game, so I think that helps as well. You know, Rick, you mentioned the eye test. 
he passes the two tests that I have. Any shortstop that can end a no-hitter with a barehanded play <laughs> and any shortstop that can turn around and catch a fly ball with his back to the infield, yeah, he makes it in my book. So I'm with yeah. you on the defense. He was unbelievable what he could do with a glove and, and uh, was really offensively uh, was a pretty, you know, obviously the power wasn't there necessarily for him. I mean, he hit the ball out of the ballpark, but not, you know, obviously at, at, a, at a huge clip. But uh, he was a very balanced offensive player. He hit the ball yeah. all over the place. He, he could player. run a little bit. He could really handle the bat and bunt. Oh. He was he was a nightmare on the bases. I mean, this is a guy that, uh, you know, he made you bring your A game every night when he was on the field. Yeah. He almost, you know, took over in my heart from Louis Aparicio. That's how good mm-hmm. Omar Vizquel yeah. was. right. Uh, but what I was so impressed with Omar watching him play shortstop every day was the transfer of the ball out of the glove. It seemed like the ball never touched his glove, especially turning a double play when he took a throw from the second baseman. That ball was just redirected out of the glove into the hand, and that ball was on its way to first base. Did the same thing fielding a ground ball. And then, like you said, the bare hand chop over the middle. Ernie Riles, Boston Red Sox, two outs in the ninth inning of the kingdom of Basio's no-hitter. Cuts across the infield, barehands the ball, and throws Riles out at first base to complete the no-hitter. And it was like nothing to it. Yeah. You know, he, and, and this is the kid, you know, talking with Omar, this is a kid who grew up in Venezuela and took a milk carton and, and uh, formed a, a glove out of it. And that's how he started catching baseballs with a, with a milk cart. But I love it. The other guy that I was so impressed with today got one vote. Mm-hmm. Our buddy. Raul Ibanez got one vote today for the Hall of Fame, so I texted him. I said, way to go, buddy. I said, you're a Hall of Famer. That's really cool. That is. It is cool. He got a vote. Yeah. Yeah, and he texted me back. He said, thanks a lot, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) I said, you're a Hall of Famer in my book. But Raul Ibanez, way to go, Raul. Got one vote for the the Hall of Fame. I think that's great. Yeah, me too. So I think that was a lot of fun. But congratulations to Derek Jeter and to Larry Walker and to Ted Simmons, Marvin Miller. They're going in. Uh, from the, what is it, the Modern Day Committee yeah. that voted them in. I'd love to see Lou get in, uh, hopefully in the next yeah. uh, couple of years. And uh, also... Lou got a job. Yes, broadcasting for the yeah, Cubs. Yeah, he's going to do some Cubs oh, games this year. There you go. I did that? not see not, that. Not too many, like 15 or so. Good but for him. Yeah. Oh, I think that's great. great. That's his seventh job in baseball. Or, <laughs> you know, player, coach. Did you say coach. seventh decade or seventh <laughs> job? Maybe seventh yeah. decade. Manager, general manager, you know, oh, and, and now a broadcaster on the Cubs Network. He's, he, yeah. How much fun are they, those fans going to oh, have that? Absolutely. I, I tell you oh, what, love they him. love him. Let me just jump in here Who real quick yeah. because you did mention Marvin Miller. Obviously a guy that, you know, who started the Players Association, and yeah. I'd be remiss if I didn't say how much respect he had in the game. Uh, you know, you talk to a lot of the old timers, and just um, you know the way he he brought the, the the players' association and brought the players together. Um, you know, was was it's a landmark. I mean, he was he was the, the, at the beginning uh, did it the right way, and um, you know, just uh, congratulations. I think that's well deserved, yeah. um, and uh, and it's it's too bad he won't you know be able to yeah. accept it, but. Uh, Marvin was just a, yeah, absolutely, but Marvin was was pretty phenomenal. He deserved it. The impact on the game. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's remarkable. It's why Buck O'Neill should be in, and it's why others should be in too. Oh. I mean, you look at the impact of the game to yeah. the game. Travesty. Yeah, that incredible. Buck O'Neill is not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Buck O'Neill kept the history of the Negro Leagues alive. Was a player for the Kansas City Monarchs. 
a manager, but he, what he did for the history of the game of baseball should be in the Hall of Fame. He's got Absolutely. a statue in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, mm-hmm. He has a little statue in the Hall of Fame. Buck O'Neill should be in there. He got 17 members of the Negro Leagues into the Hall of Fame about seven or eight years ago. He should be in the Hall of Fame. But congratulations to the guys who got in. And now, coming up here. Right now. In yeah. the, right now. Right now. Because Hawk's segment. in, too. Hawk. Who and Harrelson. About. You can put yeah. him on the board. You can. Put him yes. on the board. Yes. I love Hawk. He's been one of our oh, favorites to talk to uh, for years. Yeah. Ken Harrelson, the longtime broadcaster for the Chicago White Sox. Great hitter. First baseman outfielder for the Kansas City A's and the Boston Red Sox. Here is Ken Harrelson talking about Edgar Martinez going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. The year 2000 was a tremendous one for the Seattle Mariners and Edgar Martinez. The M's finished 91-71, and 71, second in the American League West and capturing the American League wild card. In 2000, Edgar Martinez continued his reign of terror on the American League once again, one of the most feared hitters in all of baseball. Swung on and belted deep to center field. Bernie Williams looks up, and this will fly, fly away. Edgar Martinez has just given the Mariners a 5-2 lead. Dead center field, no doubt about it. Edgar Martinez has stuck everybody's finger here, 47,000 of them. Edgar batted 324 with a 423 on base percentage and slugged 579. He walloped 37 home runs. He crushed 31 doubles and he drove in 145 and again mixed in 96 walks. Another Hall of Fame type season and the Hall of Fame career of Edgar Martinez. And in the 2000 playoffs, the Mariners would meet the mighty Chicago White Sox, led by a Hall of Famer of their own in Frank Thomas. The Big Hurt, the White Sox 95-67, and 67, AL Central champions and hosts to the Mariners in the first round of the 2000 playoffs. Game one would take place in Chicago, and Edgar Martinez, one of his finest moments in his career. Here's the story as told by legendary White Sox broadcaster, Ken Hawk Harrelson. Edgar was a smart hitter. All those guys were smart. You don't you don't do all the things these guys did just on talent. You got to be smart, and that's where Edgar was. He was one of the smartest hitters that I've ever seen. And remember, in 2000, you guys came in to play us in in Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. And remember, Mike Cameron, first game. Mike Cameron got on first base. Cameron steps back in. Here's the stretch by Folk and the. Oh, one on the way. Swing and a line drive. Base in the left field. Mike Cameron with a leadoff single beyond the reach of shortstop Jose Valentin. And the Mariners get the go-ahead run aboard on the single by Mike Cameron. I was watching the game with my wife. I said, honey, he's going to run. He's going to be out of here. Well, he, he doesn't run on first pitch. I think Keith Folk was pitching. One on and one away. The go-ahead run is on at first base. Now the sent by Folk and the right-handers... Another move to first base, and Cameron is back one more time. So Edgar Martinez having to be very, very patient here in the top of the 10th inning. So now Lou comes walking out. He's got his hands in his back pocket like he always did, you know, walking out. <laughs> Sauntering. He goes up and gets, walks right past Johnny Moses, the first base coach. Goes right up in, Ed, I mean in Mike's face and says something. And now timeout is called. Lou Pinella out of the dugout. He's going to go over and take a little walk over toward first base. 
And he wants to have a talk with Mike Cameron. So Lou Pinella talking things over with Cameron. Mike. Message received, turns around, goes back to the bag, and Lou Pinella heads on back over to first base. So I don't I've I've never seen Lou call timeout and go call time and talk to the runner at first. Have you yeah. ever seen that? Nope. <laughs> That's a first for me. And he turns around and walks back. Harris said to me, my wife said, what do he say? I said, honey, I got no idea. So now the next pitch is a pitch out. Here's the stretch. He stays pitch out by Paul. So the White Sox wanted to take a look, thinking, okay, he maybe missed a couple sides along the way. And Lou says, hey, I want you to run, but uh, not going to have anything out with that pitch. And now Edgar's out in front of the count of two balls and no strikes. Edgar was the hitter. And you know what happened. You can put it on the board. Yes. <laughs> the stretch and the 2 1 to Edgar. Swing and a line drive. Deep to left field. This ball is gone. Goodbye, baseball. Line drive. Home run. Edgar Martinez. Holy smoke. It's the Mariners 6 and the White Sox 4 here in the top of the 10th inning. I can't stand it. I, 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 the game's over. Gabe Morrell was a visiting clubhouse guy. I called the clubhouse. I said, Gabe, is Lou in his office? He said, no, it's here. I said, have him call me when he comes in. So a few minutes later, Lou calls. We we're in Orlando. I said, Lou, what in the hell did you say to Mike when you were out there? He started laughing. He goes, Hawks, this is the playoffs, you know. He says, got to pull out all the stops. He said, I went out and told Mike, Mike, the NASDAQ is up and the Dow is down. <laughs> I said, you son of a gun. You wanted to pitch out. You wanted the 2 0 count to Edgar, didn't you? He goes, well, this is the playoffs. Look, this is Dave upstairs. What What were you talking to Cameron about over there? What did you, you call time to go over and talk to him? Miss a sign or what? I told him that the NASDAQ was down 113 and Cisco stock was great by right now. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, okay. Edgar, Edgar. I used to love to watch that man hit. You know, I don't judge hitters on the most misleading average uh, number in baseball's batting average. Don't tell me what a guy hits. Tell me when he hit it. I want to know how was he in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. Yeah. Edgar was the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning hitter. One of the best I have ever seen. And uh, I am so happy for him because he was. I look at players where they. An asset or were they a liability? We all know what he was. He was an asset to the game of baseball. A great gentleman, and I'm just so happy for him. And Edgar's home run would lead the Mariners to a game one victory over Chicago. Sasaki the stretch. Again, the 2 2 pitch splitter. Swing and a miss, and it's over. The Mariners win it 7 4 over the Chicago White Sox here at Comiskey Park to take game one of this best of five divisional series. And the game one win propelled the Mariners to a three game sweep. Over the White Sox. Here comes the stretch, and Folk is 0-1 pitch on the way to Carlos. There's a bunt up the first baseline. The Mariners are on their way to the American League Championship. A beautiful bunt by Carlos Guillen. The Mariners sweep the Chicago White Sox. My, oh, my. I don't believe it. That was incredible uh, to relive those moments and it was great to hear from ken harrelson going into the baseball hall of fame and the broadcast wing along with dave niehaus who went in back in 2008 great stories right there and lou Pinella had his hands on both those big plays cameron on at first base never seen a manager call time go out and talk to a runner at first 
to get Edgar a 2-0 count, a pitch out to go to 2-0. Then Edgar hits the home run. Lou had his hands all over that. And then the bunt by Carlos Guillen, he walks out toward home plate, Danny. You were there, and he says, bunt it to Thomas at first. He's either not going to catch it or throw it home, and uh, Ricky Henderson's going to score. Yeah, Frank obviously was was known to to not want to throw the ball. You, you saw him when he threw the ball back after a pickoff attempt to the pitcher. He could hardly throw it. He knew all he had to do was get it in the neighborhood of Frank yeah. Thomas, and the game was over. And you know that's the it's the type of manager Lou was. He had great vision, and uh, you know he he did it with a little flair too, a little humor. You got to love it. Oh man, that was fun. Oh, uh, the hot stove continues. We'll be back. With a final comment after these messages. Back to more of the hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Say, friends, sign up your little sluggers for the 2020 Mariners Kids Club. MVP members are only $25 and include a Mariners backpack and cap, mini moose, bobblehead, $1 ticket vouchers, and exclusive MVP experiences. Plus, New this year, MVP members will receive 10% off select kids apparel at Mariners Team Stores. Register today at Mariners.com slash kids. Great show tonight on Hot Stove. Gary Hill, great show. Thanks for producing a wonderful program tonight. Had great guests, and it was, it was fun. a lot of fun. It was a yeah. lot of fun. And Dan the Man Wilson, thanks for joining us this evening on Hot Stove. I can't wait to see you down at spring training. When are you going down there? Uh, I'll be down there February 8th. So uh, we have some meetings, and then we crank it up. So it's going to be really exciting. Great to see you, kids. Thanks, Rick. It's always a pleasure in here. We we couldn't end the program without that. From Dan, the Man Wilson Mariners Hall of Famer, for Gary Hill Jr., for Dan, the Man Wilson. I'm Rick Riz saying so long, everybody. We'll see you next week on Hot Stove.